Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is a new church located in the city of Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement and as a blessing and inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Today we're going to look at one of the most, what is considered one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. If not, arguably, the most beautiful story in the Bible. And many people hold this story dear because they can identify with it. And many people feel and, and have this story dear because it's a, it's a great story to share with others that are far from God. But I believe that one of the things that happens as we grow in our, in, in our, in our walk with God is that we begin to de-identify ourselves from this story. And we begin to turn into into the other son that is mentioned in the story. And, and today we're just going to focus on the first son. And Lord willing, in a few months or maybe next year, we're going to really uh, spend three or four weeks in this story. But today we're going to focus. And my goal for today, my, 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 as I was praying through this sermon, as I was praying through this text, my goal is that those of you that are here today can find yourselves again in this story. Because when we read the Bible, when we read the Word of God, we need to find a way to insert ourselves in the story and to find a way that we can identify with the story and to find a way that, that the text, that the Word is speaking into our hearts. And I believe that there is a, a, a message for you and a message for me today. And I believe that, that this Word um, or these few verses that we're going to be looking through are very important for our lives. Amen. And, and if you're in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, if your Bible has subheadings or subtitles, yours may have different, but mono, mo, many of the, uh, of the subtitles that you'll find for this story is the parable of the lost son. Okay. And some Bibles will say, just simply will say two brothers, or some Bibles that you have may say loving father. And then the most popular and the way we most, most of us know this parable is the title of the prodigal son. Now, if you were like me at some point, at some time when you were, if you grew up in church or if you've heard this story and you know the context of the story, you would look at the word, uh, at the title, the prodigal son. And you might have been like me uh, a few years back when I thought that the word prodigal meant that you were wayward, or that you had left something, or that you had gone away from somewhere. But if you didn't know, that's actually not what the word means. The word prodigal means that it's describing, it's a descriptive word that describes someone that spins a lot, or someone that is reckless in their spending, or someone that is extravagant in their giving. And honestly, we usually get the connotation of this word as a negative word, but it can be used in both ways. It can be a positive word or it can be a negative word. But because most of us grew up in church and we've heard this, this story, we associate it with the negative side. And 
The word prodigal simply means someone that is extravagant in their giving or extravagant in their spending. Okay? And I want you to understand that as we go through this word and through this, this story, we may tend to think that the central figure of this story is the young man that was considered the prodigal. But the reality is that the central figure of this story is the father. He is the main character. He is who the story is about. He is who we should look to. He is the one that we should focus on. Because even though the son was a prodigal, as we go through, my hope is that you'll see that this father, in his own right, in his own merit, he was a prodigal as well. He was extravagant. Almost reckless in his love for his son. So today is going to be a little bit different. Maybe we're going to kind of read a couple verses. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of try to connect with those two verses. Then we'll move on to the next couple verses. So bear with me, but I believe that God is going to speak to our hearts today. And we are going to just feel God's love in our lives. Amen? I'm excited. Are you excited? Amen. So if you're excited, I, I want you to, 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 to help me preach, all right? Can someone say amen? Amen. amen. All right. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. That's where we're going to read. The Word of God says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. So we're going to stop right there for just a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, if we were to read back and read the law, what the Bible says about inheritance, what the Bible says about uh, 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 the splitting or the giving out of property in a family, the word of God tells us the law of Moses said that when a a older son was going to receive an inheritance. His inheritance was going to be two-thirds of the father's property, estate, uh, home, or whatever it was that the father had. Now, here we begin to see that the father says that, or it says, the Bible says that this father took everything he had and he divided it between the two. All right, so right there we're beginning to see, okay, this man, this father, is almost, you can almost say he's being anti-biblical. Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 21, you give two-thirds to your oldest, one-third to your youngest. And then even though, even if the youngest, if there were several young kids, if there were if more in the family, that one-third would be divided among all of them. But the oldest would get two-thirds. That was the rule. That was the law. And this father, somehow, maybe uh, in a prior arrangement, he had talked to both of them. He said, no, you know what, when you guys get your inheritance... You are going to get half, and you're going to get half. And it says here that he divided his inheritance. Now, the other interesting thing that we should note here is that this is a major sign of disrespect to the father. If you have a dad that's still alive, and he's got some money, he's got some property, he's got a home, try walking up to him and say, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. 
in essence, what this young man was telling his dad is that, Father, I don't care, really. You are no good to me alive. I kind of wish you were dead because if you were dead, I could get my inheritance. In fact, Father, give me my inheritance that's due to me, even though you are still alive. Basically, Father, you are dead to me. And the son, I don't know how the father received it. I don't know if there was some awkward tension in that moment. I don't know if there was a discomfort in the family. But I'm pretty sure there was because here is this, uh, this Jewish man. And the Bible tells us that it was an estate that he had to divide. That leads me to believe that this was not just a run-of-the-mill man. Because if something happens to me, they're not going to be dividing an estate. They're going to be dividing some stuff. Okay, I don't have an estate. I wish I had an estate, but I don't. But God has been good to me, and I can't complain. But this man had an estate. This means that he had property. He had livestock. He had servants. He had people that would do the things that he needed done. This man was a High, uh, 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 high in socioeconomic status in the community in which they live. And here comes this young boy, this young lad, and says, Dad, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Give me what I deserve. Give me my share of the inheritance. Now, Jesus, as he's telling the story, he doesn't say that the dad got upset. All he says is that he divided his property between them. Now you got to understand, and again, put yourself in the picture, put yourself in the story. Think of yourself as this young man. You're walking up to your dad, you're saying, Dad, I'm done. Give me what's mine. And imagine your father taking that in and gaining, receiving that disrespect from you. I don't know why the son did this. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe it was some, some rivalry between the two siblings. Maybe, maybe he felt like he could manage the money better. Whatever the reason he told his dad, that's it, dad, I'm done. The father has to. It's not an easy thing, especially when your, your assets are not liquid. Amen. Your, your assets are tied up in, in property, in livestock. So he divides the property, and he has to now begin to sell his property so that he can give his son his inheritance. Now imagine this Jewish father. The Jews in that moment, in that time, maybe even up to this time, that culture was very, very particular about land. While you are living, I was reading one of the, one of the, uh, the, 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 it was a book called um, The Wisdom of Sirach, and it's talking about how Jewish customs are supposed to, to be, and it will say that if you are living, never, ever, ever, ever sell your property. That's what the Jewish believed. Because that is a sign of respect, that is a sign of honor, that is yours, and you should not give up your honor. But here is this father. In this moment saying, okay, son, I'm going to sell my property off. Half of it. Half of it. He divides it and he gives it to his son. Major sign of disrespect. A very dishonoring thing to the father. Yet he does it. 
We continue reading in verse 13 and verse 14. Not long after that, after he received his inheritance, the younger son, son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, in this part of the scripture, there's no indication as to how he spent his inheritance, but it does say that he squandered it, that he misused it, that he'd spent it in things that were not uh, useful for him. It was wild living. Other versions says that he spent it recklessly. Others say that he lived loosely. Now picture this. Picture, come on, you got to put yourself in the picture. You are leaving home. You just asked your dad for your inheritance and, and you got a sizable amount of money and you're about to travel to a distant country. You're not just going to leave by yourself. You're going to hire some hands because you're going to have to make a long journey. You're going to have to buy some livestock. You're going to have hire some men to go with you because you need protection along the way. So as you're leaving your father's home, there is a big caravan that is with you. That is with you. And it says that he traveled to a distant country and he lived how he wanted to live life. How many times do we find ourselves in this position with God? How many times do we come to church, and I'm not saying that your whole life is this way, but I do believe there are areas in our hearts, areas in our souls, that we, we gather everything that God has given us, and we take it and we take it far from God. For whatever reason. Maybe you don't quite agree with what you read. Maybe you don't quite agree with what the pastor preaches. Maybe there's just something that is just not sitting well with you. Or maybe there's an addiction that you're just not quite ready to give up. A relationship that you're not quite ready to walk away from. Whatever the case is, we gather what God has given us. And we leave his home. And when we read this, honestly, come on, you got to think about this. The father financed this young man's living. It was the father's blessing that allowed this young man to live a life that was reckless. To be wild in his living and many times, church, you and I, we take the blessings of God that God has given us and we live our lives in a manner that we're telling God, Lord, I don't care that you gave me this. I don't care that you did this for me. I'm going to live how I want to live. I am going to walk away from you. Yeah, I'll still show up on Sundays. Yeah, I'll invite somebody every once in a while just so the pastor won't do another sit with me month. Yeah, I'll do this. I'll do that. But I'm going to walk away because I'm taking my blessing and I'm going to live how I want to live. And in essence, God finances our living. In essence, God says, son, I love you so much, and I will bless you, and I will leave your decisions to you. What you decide to do with your life is up to you. 
We take our hearts far from God. We attempt to live on our own. We attempt to figure things out on our own. We, we surround ourselves with people that will agree with us. Nah, man, don't listen. Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your brother. Don't listen to your, uh, your sister. Don't listen to the pastor. They don't understand you. you. They don't know the hurt that you've gone through. You should be allowed to live your life. You only live once. Don't miss out on life. And we go far. And we surround ourselves with friends and people that will not challenge us, but will go along on the journey with us, just like this young man. Takes off on the caravan, lives a wild life. I can just imagine. Imagine yourself. Imagine what you would have done. You had friends up the wazoo, man. You're paying for everything. Let's have a party tonight. It's on me, guys. Come on. Another round on the house. It's on me. Oh, I mean, you're going to have tons of friends that way. And he goes to a distant country. Somewhere where he won't be challenged in his way of thinking. We try to figure things out on our own. Maybe, maybe it's, a, like I said earlier, an addiction that God is working in within us and saying, Lord, you need to leave that son. You need to leave that daughter. Maybe it's a relationship that you're toying with that you shouldn't be messing with. Maybe, maybe it's just a, 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 a hobby that just takes so much time and God is like, I need you and I need you, son, because I got a purpose for you. Leave that. Maybe it's an inherent issue within our hearts that we're working through and we can't reconcile it with God's word and God's word tells me it's a sin, but I enjoy it too much. I can't leave it. Sometimes it's our own self-righteousness. God is saying, son, come on, you got to let go of that. You are not perfect. You need to love those people. You need to serve those people. And we can tell, we tell God, I, I just can't reconcile you, this with you. And I, I just take my blessings, I'll take what you've given me, and I'll go off on my own. And we do this not even realizing that it's been God's blessing that's gotten us this far. It's been God's favor in our life that has allowed us to accomplish the few things that we have accomplished or the many things we have accomplished. So here's the son, squandered his wealth and wild living. Verse 14 says that he spent everything and there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now you find yourself in need. Remember, we're the son in this story. Now I find myself in need. Now I just need someone to help me out a little bit so I can make it to the next meal. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. And this young man, being a Jewish young man, went out and hired himself out to be a pig farmer. 
if you know anything about the Jewish culture, pigs are the most disgusting, revolting, unsettling thing that Jewish people would even behold. They would not touch him. They would not eat it. Much less would they farm them. I mean, this young man has gone to the lowest point of his life. He is at a point where he's watching the pigs, the very thing that disgusts him, the very thing that revolts him, the very thing that makes him sick to his stomach. He is watching the meat, and now he wants to break bread with them. He has fallen so far. And we find ourselves in times of need, battling within ourselves, still trying to figure things out on our own. And we're watching what the world does. And we say, if I could have some of that, I know that was taught better than that. But let me have some of that. Maybe that will fill the hole in my heart. If I could just break bread with those pigs, maybe I'd be okay. Maybe. So you got to imagine this. You got to put yourself in this picture. You got to put yourself in this story. Here is this young Jewish man. And when you are farming pigs, this is like tending the sheep. You don't just, this is not a, a, a 21st century farm. This is like the sheep herders. You go out and you live with the sheep. You go out and you live with the pigs. You pass through them. You make sure that the number you took is the number you bring back. You're, you're going into muddy areas because that's what pigs like. And, and you're, you're, you're gathering them and you're all caked in mud. The, the heat of the Middle Eastern sun is scorching you, is baking you, this 100 degree weather. And you know what? Honestly, you don't even bathe because you're only hired out. You don't have a house. And if you're going to bathe, it's only if, the, if there's some rain. And rain in the Middle East is very rare. So maybe you get to kind of get some water and wash yourself off every, every few months. But you are drenched in sweat. You are drenched in mud. And you don't smell very good. Tell your neighbor. No, don't tell your neighbor anything. Don't, don't do that, all right? And you don't smell very good. The Bible says that he was in need no one, absolutely no one would give him anything. And sometimes, church, it takes us to get to the dirtiest place in our lives for us to realize that the world has nothing to give you, nothing to offer you, nothing to satisfy you. It can do nothing for you. It can do nothing for me. This world, we look at it and we think that outside of the Father's house, there are so many things that are attractive, so many things that are, that are pleasing to our flesh, to our eyes. And just maybe, maybe if I experience that, my life will be complete. But if we get to the point where this young man is, we realize that there is nothing out there. There's nothing out there. He's at the lowest point of his life. 
You are at the lowest point of your life. I am at the lowest point of my life. And in verse 17, the word of God says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here we are at the lowest point of our lives. We come to our senses. Another Bible version says that he repents. There is a changing of the mind. And we devise a plan to return home. We think within ourselves, well, I remember at my father's house, the hired servants, they didn't, they didn't have any difficulty in finding food. If only maybe if I can go back, I can convince my dad that, yeah, Lord, I got it. Dad, I'm sorry I messed up and I took your, your fortune. I took my inheritance and I wasted it, but I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. But if only I could be like a, not a household servant. I don't want to live in your house because I'm not worthy to be in your house. If I could just be a hired servant, one of those day workers. Remember when you send your people to pick up those day workers? Can you tell them to look out for me? Because I'm starving. I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow. Just maybe, maybe my dad will hire me out. And I can get another meal. Just maybe. Verse 20 says that he got up. He got, I want to stop there real quick. You got to understand, church. You got to understand that this young man made a decision and he got up. See, many times we want God to restore our lives before we even respond. This young man responded first. He got up. He took a step. And then, as we'll see, God began to the restoration process. Some of us, our problem is that we won't respond to God. We want God to change our lives before we can even come to him. He got up. And went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, uh, it says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put, on him, put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You're looking at the pigs eating. Man, that looks good. What am I saying? Pig food looks good? Come on. Come on, Daniel. Remember your dad's house? Remember the blessing that was there? 
Remember the love that was felt there? You know what? I'm not even worthy of any of that, but maybe, maybe, maybe he'll hire me as a hired servant. So you get up. I get up. We start walking towards the father's home. But something interesting happens. You're walking along the way. And you're still a good far. You begin to see the familiar hills. You begin to see the familiar areas. Oh, I, I, yeah, I used to play hide and seek there. I remember me and my brother, we would play ball right there. We'd throw the football over there. And you're beginning to get this rush, and you're just really nervous about seeing your dad. And the Bible says that the dad was keeping an eye out. He was looking out, and he saw from the distance something that appeared to be his son. Now, he couldn't see his face, but he recognized recognize something within his son maybe it was the walk maybe it was the the height maybe it was the build but he recognized something hey i see something familiar coming towards me and the son is walking he's really awkward he's really nervous and he's about to go into the village and and the bible says that all of a sudden as the son is walking the father begins to run to his son and the son is walking he's looking up he's like Man, there's, there's somebody running at me. Who, who is that? And you got to imagine the father. He's running in a row. Ladies, if you've ever ran in a skirt, what do you have to do? You got to hike it up and you're running. Right? Let me fix my pants. So here's the father in a very undistinguished way. Running through the village to his son. And the son is like, wait a minute, that looks like my dad. No, it can't be. My dad wouldn't run. I've never even seen my dad run. It's very dishonorable for a Jewish man to run. It's very dishonorable even for us as adults to run because we look silly. We're not young anymore. We leave the running for the kids. We leave the running for those who are working. You, you see the dad running. And you're like, wait, that's my dad. Why is he? Oh, I'm going to get it. There's no, I left with a parade of people. I left with livestock. I left with possessions. And he sees that I'm coming back without anything. This was a bad idea. I shouldn't have come. Well, I'm desperate. What else can I do? What else must I do? But wait a minute. He's shouting. Doesn't sound like he's mad. It doesn't sound like he's wanting. Is he smiling? The Bible says that when the father approached the son, that he threw himself upon his son and he, he embraced his son. And you got to understand that the son, put yourself in this position. Here is the son that has squandered everything that he has. He smells like pigs. He smells like, he smells like pig manure. He has sweat all over his body. And now his father, a very distinguished, powerful man, is embracing him. And now what? Kissing me? He's going to taste that stuff on me. 
But the father didn't care. That is your God and that is my God. He doesn't care the condition in that you find yourself. He doesn't care where you're coming from. He doesn't care if you spent it all. All that he cares is that you've responded and you've remembered and you've repented and you're walking through him. James chapter 4 verse 15. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You respond and he will restore. What's going on? I can't believe that he's hugging me and kissing me. And finally, finally the father lets go of the embrace and here's my chance. He let go of me. Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the strangest things happen that the father completely ignores him, does not acknowledge what he says, and he begins calling to his servants, God, hey, bring me the best robe. I need a ring and some sandals. It can wait. We can get to the house and then, but why? Why is he in such a hurry to put this robe on me? And you begin to start walking and he's stopping you. Come on, hurry up. Bring the stuff. Go ahead and get the fatted calf ready. And you begin to realize that as he grabs the robe and he puts it upon you and you begin to walk through the village. And as people are seeing you, you begin to realize that the reason he wants the robe is to cover the shame that you're carrying. He is bringing you back into his home. He's putting that ring on you and saying, son, you haven't lost any authority. You still have a part in this house. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you, who you've talked to. You are my son no matter what. I will cover your shame. I will restore your authority. And let's put some sandals on your feet. Because only slaves walk barefooted. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I will restore you. Get the calf ready. Come on. We're going to have a party. Because what was dead is now alive. I was once dead, but by the power of Jesus, by his love, I am now alive. And I want to declare to you today, church, whatever area in your life that you think is dead, whatever you think you've squandered, whatever talent you've gotten rid of, whatever you've gotten, the blessings that God has given you, you've wasted them. God tells you today, I will restore you, but you have to respond you have to respond this is my God this is my father he loves you he loves me the difference between mercy and grace is that mercy gave the son a second chance and grace gave him a party understand church 
There's two differences between mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And God gives us salvation. Come to your senses. Repent from where you've been. God wants you to respond to his word. God wants me to respond to his word. The son had to take a step towards his father. And the father closed the gap. Because let's be honest, guys. Let's be honest. If we were that father and your son left home and spent everything that you gave him and you see him coming, you're going to wait on that porch. Mm-hmm. Te dije. I told you. Now you've gone and spent everything, huh? And now you want to come back to me? That's us. But that's not God. And many times, we put us into God. We think, well, that's how I would react. That must be how God would react. I'm telling you, you are wrong. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. Some of you here today, I'm going to ask you to stand. Some of you here today have not invited Jesus to be the Savior of your life. And God is calling you. God is waiting for you to respond to his call. And in just a moment, again, as we do every week, we're going to call for a response. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what blessings you've taken and given away somewhere else. I don't know what you've been doing. But God is asking you to respond today. Today is the day of salvation.